0: I'm Abby Kinney, and you are listening to UpZoned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of UpZoned, a show where we take a big story from the news each week that touches the Strong Towns conversation, and we UpZone it. We talk about it in depth. I'm Abby Kinney, an urban planner in Kansas City, and today I am joined by Chuck Marone, who has just got finished with a lot of travel, so I'm really glad you were able to make it today. Thank you. We'll try to make this easy on you.
1: Hey, it was, it's nice to be here. For for the people who are maybe watching this by video, I've, I've got like the hoodie and the hat is like yeah. travel gear because I got up brutally early and yeah, flew back to Minnesota and then got a long drive, and it's nice. I'm glad I could make it. Let's just put it that way.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you could, too, uh, especially because we're covering a story today that hits very close to home for me, <laughs> published in the Kansas City Star by Casey Bayless and Jonathan Shoreman. This article is entitled, Missouri Governor Parson Wants $859 Million to Expand I-70. So if you can believe it, the state of Missouri somehow has a $6 billion budget surplus due to an increase in tax revenue and unspent federal aid. And recently in the State of the State address, the governor of Missouri has announced that he wants to spend $859 million to expand I seventy, which is the major transportation route that connects Kansas City and St. Louis on the east-west ends of the state, and basically the city of Columbia is right in the middle of of that span of interstate. So this would involve expanding that that highway into from two lanes to three lanes in key areas, basically in the exurbs of kansas city and st louis and kansas city you know in the areas east of downtown st louis in the areas west of downtown and then in the suburban areas of columbia so basically all the exurbs that experience congestion on this interstate There's been a ton of reaction to this story. It seems like a lot of people think that this is a bad idea, not even just from the Strongtown's perspective. It sounds like there's even Republicans that think this is fundamentally a bad idea. Um, So I don't even think this is really a partisan issue, although I think a lot of people frame it that way. Chuck, i mean what do you what do you think about this do you think that it's a good idea to add highway lanes on i-70 i mean i i run this not run this i drive this this route back and forth on a pretty regular basis i'm from st louis i travel home a lot the congestion is rarely a problem if noticeable so to me this is preposterous really but Yeah. I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Is Missouri, are we just out of our minds here?
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a whole transportation side of this. The the thing that was interesting to me right off the bat was just the finance, the state finance budget surplus side of this. Yes. Totally. So I was in the army, I was in the national guard I did two summers of training, one in New Jersey and one at Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri. And as I, was, as I was reading this article, I was thinking about my time at Fort Leonard Wood, because in the Army, they paid you back when I was in it. This would have been like 91. They paid you monthly. They gave you a check and you literally stood in line. They gave you your check and then you walked over to the next station and they cashed your check and gave you cash. And then if you wanted to, you could go to another station and change that cash into American Express certificates because you could mail those through the mail and they would be secure, unlike cash would be. And that's what I did. I mean, I like I like sent 95 percent of my money home. I'm like, I got nothing to spend it on here. That is going to be good for me. Like, it's all out of here. But so many soldiers and a lot of people who, quite frankly, had never had like that much money in their pocket at one time to begin with, just went out and blew it on like everything. And you had like one big party weekend, like a big bash, like, hey, just making it rain. And it mm-hmm. was it was a crazy time. <laughs> and I remember feeling bad. I feel like, you know, I, I can't tell you what to do, friend. You know, you- you're you're my brother. You're my friend. You're like here with me. I can't tell you how dumb this is my gosh, this is really, I kind of felt bad for him because I'm like, you're going to really regret next weekend when you don't have that beer and you don't have that liquor and you don't have that woman and you don't have like whatever you were after. It feels to me like, and States get themselves into this situation, but it feels to me like the governor's is like, I got money. I need to find something to do with it. Right.
0: Yeah. Totally.
1: My constituents are these like suburban commuters Maybe I know and recognize the transportation part that this actually is not going to help their lives. But if I throw hundreds of millions of dollars at it, I can really pretend like I'm doing so I can make it rain in those places and that is going to help. And I, I it makes me feel bad, not really, I mean, for the governor, kind of, but like it just makes me feel bad for Missouri because Missouri is a great state and... Budget surpluses are always followed by budget deficits. I don't know why in the article they're like, we predict uh, really healthy budget receipts for the next coming year. Like why? Unemployment is starting to creep up. Thousands of people are being laid off from their jobs. We have really high inflation. We're in a very like precarious economic position. And you have this momentary surplus and your gut reaction is to go out and blow it on – a project of, we haven't even talked about the benefits. I mean, I think we could talk about the transportation part, but it makes me sad that the reaction is that. It feels a lot like the soldiers I was with in Missouri who were like, I got money in my pocket. It's got to go out the door.
0: Yeah, it does feel like that a little bit. And, you know, regardless of what the reality is about what will happen next year and the year after that and 10 years from now, To me, it seems that if we are in a position where we have a surplus for whatever reason, we're not being careful by blowing it on expanding our liabilities because infrastructure is fundamentally a liability. We can add lanes and add a lot of lanes on all these highways, but we're gonna need to pay for that in the long run. And investing it in things that don't actually Create assets and support economic development and additional tax revenue. It, it just doesn't seem wise, and it's, it would seem like the better approach would be to take that money and reinvest in places that already exist, like you know, supporting economic development in already established places or partnering with the private sector to achieve economic or business or housing needs in existing places rather than to simply expand highways. And, you know, by the way, when we expand highways, what do we do? We build more and more suburbs. We just don't need to keep doing that because when we do that, we're just building so much in terms of liabilities and we're just spreading out and making our tax base so inefficient. So, from an efficiencies and, and economic perspective, that's why I don't think it's a partisan issue because I'd love to see people who are Republicans in Missouri actually understand these kinds of issues and understand the inefficiencies that are created by simply blowing money on highway expansion, uh, especially for congestion issues that are barely an issue. And I, I mean, I've, I've driven this at all different times of the day and week. I know I, I-70. This is a non-issue. It really is.
1: Well, I think there's a couple of things to point out about Missouri in particular to, to contextualize this because it's been a few years now. I think it was like five, six years ago, Missouri was having this statewide discussion about raising uh, the sales tax. Uh, raising and applying some of that to a transportation fund. There's a big list of projects that were put out. I don't have the most current numbers, but I know then, which was just a handful of years ago, Missouri was the highest number of lane miles per capita in the country. So per person, you have more uh, highway liability, more stuff that you have to take care of than, than any place else in the U S and you know, in doing that, you also have one of the largest backlogs of road maintenance in the entire country. You have highways that are badly in need of repair, that are, are not going to get repaired anytime soon. You have a, a high number of bridges. You're very high up on the list of bridges that are derelict and deficient and under capacity. And so there's this massive kind of backlog of just basic needs before you even start expanding. The expansion, I think if we're going to steel man the argument, the argument for expanding is that the more capacity we add, there's the congestion side, which is really dumb. We can talk about that, but I, I feel like our listeners have heard that story about, you know- A
0: million the, times. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. A million times. But the steelman version of the economic argument is that we expand the highway that opens up more land for development. More land is now going to be accessible for development. And because of that, people who own that land will become wealthier. People will buy that land and they will be able to convert it into homes and businesses and the next round of uh, Costco's and Walmarts and gas stations and drive-through franchise restaurants. You get the next like iteration of exurban prosperity that we've seen in Kansas city and, Uh, That's how we're going to perpetuate this growth machine that is the Missouri experience. And I get that narrative, right? The problem is that it runs into this like math reality that we have shown specifically in the Kansas City area. Urban3 has done these amazing studies. The city has got this data. The Kauffman Foundation was part of putting this data together. We put together a sixteen-part series that showed how, in part, this exurban development is, rob- is robbing the Kansas City region of its economic vitality. It is literally costing multiple dollars for every dollar you receive in benefit. And you know the idea that this would be the governor's economic strategy is, I was going to say disappointing, but I think absurd is the better, you know, is the better result. Like the, the math, the data, the lived experience, like however you want to measure it, um, it doesn't add up in any kind of fiscally responsible way. So why is the government in Missouri, Republican, fiscally, financially conservative, uh, building themselves as fiscally prudent, tipping the scales for a certain class of developer, a certain class of land speculator, a certain style of development, as opposed to, in a sense, letting the market decide where development should happen, which if we step back and look, the market has been shifting to the core neighborhoods of Kansas City, where the opportunities are better, the returns are better, and the infrastructure is already in place.
0: Well, that's interesting. I there's a lot that you could say about that but i will say that i think that there's probably a pretty fundamental misunderstanding of what the market is and where it's heading and 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 how the public sector interacts with it that you know the reason that we're getting exurb upon exurb upon exurb is because we're investing we're making these ginormous investments in our transportation infrastructure. And, you know, like you said, those are liabilities, but it seems that, you know, the state broadly uh, is not understanding those dynamics or thinking about or communicating those kinds of dynamics. They're seeing these highway expansions as an asset. And I think if we wanted to steel man the case, in addition to that, there may be, you know, a, a freight argument to make, you know, getting goods. Uh, across the state uh, and into other states. I think that there's a quote in, in one article that we looked at. I'm not sure if it was this Kansas City Star one, but he the, the governor does begin to make this like economic efficiencies case related to motorist safety. He, he says, you know, we're concerned about motorist safety and that these inefficiencies are costly to our state economy and we must in, in best to improve i-70 to those who say we can't afford it i say we can't afford not to um oh yes (laughs) which i the
1: the uh, only thing we have to fear is congestion itself (laughs) 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 yeah heroic words Uh uh-huh yeah i love it
0: (laughs) yeah i wonder who wrote that line because it is awesome but (laughs) He's trying to make this economic case, right? As you know, somebody who's kind of probably wanting to be seen as prudent financially and making good economic development decisions. I I feel like that's kind of his. I don't know his thing. Like that's that's kind of how he how he would like to communicate. There's this huge piece of the conversation that's missing from that instead it's saying you know motorist safety issues are inefficiencies that are creating problems to our economy and that we can't afford not to do this even if congestion was the thing causing motorist safety issues like expanding lanes and spending all this money, I, I bet you there's there's issues with exit ramps that would be cheaper to fix that would probably address these issues. There's probably interchange issues. I, I'm not um, a transportation engineer, but I bet you there are transportation engineers out there who can think of probably a thousand different ways to address safety issues on an interstate that doesn't involve adding uh, how many miles of, of highway lane is it it's like it's like 50 almost 60 miles of of lane, highway lane so i don't know it, it's just i feel like there's with the state there is this like misunderstanding of what the options are in the full picture if we're trying to really be financially responsible as a state and prudent with our investments and create assets and economic development and, you know, lift up the private sector, whatever it is we're trying to do here. Um, I don't know that adding lanes is the thing that's going to get us there.
1: Let's just say that for what this is, I mean, this is a big government socialist, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, control of (laughs) The marketplace. This is not. This is not like a free market response. Yeah. And let, let's take this as like a market response. Okay. Let, let's let's follow that down and let's say we're going to do this in a market oriented kind of way. Um, I think the first thing that you would have to do to responsibly make the case that there's a market demand for this is actually toll or better yet, congestion price. Uh, I seventy today. You you have congestion right now. You don't have congestion throughout the day. You have congestion during peak periods of time. You're really just giving a big government handout subsidy to commuters, uh, exurban commuters in specific, and land speculators in that part of the country. That is just government picking winners and losers is what it is. If we want to have a market mechanism, let's toll this road, let's congestion price this road. And then let's use that revenue that we collect because if if there's enough demand for travel during peak times, um, let's use that money, uh, then to, to build this highway. Let's use that money to make other changes. Let's also allow the option in these places to respond to congestion in multiple ways. Let's make sure that the market can actually respond by building more homes in exurban neighborhoods, building more mixed use neighborhoods where you can walk and bike and not have to get in your car for every single trip. Let's make sure that that is an option that the marketplace can actually deliver if there's a demand for it right now those options are largely off the table and incapable of being performed. So I'm all for taking like a market view here. I'm all for the free market response. But what we've done is we've said in a very top-down socialist government directed kind of way, we've said, this is what the market is. It is one thing. It is one dimensional. These are the people who we want to win this, this, this market competition. This is the approach we want to win. And we are going to direct statewide government funds into this specific outcome so that we can see this specific thing happen. Uh, anyone who does that, who calls themselves a free market person, is lying to themselves.
0: Yeah. I wish that there there are so many other things I think that we could spend all of this money on. And I, I do want to ask you, Chuck, let's say that you are the governor of Missouri, what would you spend six billion dollars on today?
1: That's a fun question, because I would be a horrible governor of Missouri, um, <laughs> because my my gut inclination would be I would be probably a better king of Missouri than governor. Because governor, <laughs> you have to work within a political yeah. system, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm I would not be good at that because I am in some ways an idealist, right? As king, I would communicate to the people of Missouri that while I appreciate this budget deficit, this is a great thing. uh, We have recently in the past had large or budget surplus. We've recently in the past had very large deficits and we are certain in the future to also have very large deficits. Our economy is in flux. We're trying to figure out what is deglobalization, even a modest deglobalization look like. Um, The last thing I want to do is invest in a 1950s theory of economy where we connect st louis to kansas city and see all this grow. We, we did that we got all the returns off that another lane is only marginally going to provide us anything what i would be inclined to do is say to my subjects in missouri i'm going to save this money on your behalf i'm going to set it aside and if we have Perpetual deficits year after year after year. I'm going to reduce our taxes. Like I'm going to give this back to you because I'm certainly the last thing I'm going to do is spend this on transportation. And if 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 I'm forced to spend it, I, I want to spend it on neighborhoods. I want to spend it on places. I want to spend it on shoring up our existing systems because, quite frankly, we're a state with the most number of roads per capita. We have a huge backlog. I'm going to put our money into maintaining stuff, into making better use of what we have, because clearly we're not making very good use of it if we have the most per capita and we still have massive congestion and economic problems and what have you. And I am going to, uh, you know, make sure that uh, people in Missouri have options uh, in a marketplace to respond to congestion, respond to employment difficulties, respond to family needs beyond having to own two cars and spend hours each day stuck in traffic. And those options will look a lot like having a neighborhood to live in, having those kind of things available to you in ways that they aren't today. That's what I would do. And then I would be, there would be a riot and they would burn down my uh, castle or whatever I lived in and I would have to flee to Iowa or something like that. I would seek asylum in Minnesota.
0: You know what? But maybe not. I mean, if you said, hey, I'm I'm creating a uh, decentralized grant program for neighborhoods to improve themselves. And you can invest it in your parks. You can invest it in economic development. You could invest it in putting trash cans out and paying somebody to you know, put trash bags in them and take them out, let neighborhoods and communities decide how to improve themselves and what they need. I mean, $6 billion could go a long way and be so much more impactful than adding a lane of interstate in the exurbs of Columbia, St. Louis and Kansas City. There's just so so many more things that could happen here. So if you were king, I don't think you would have a riot on your hands. I think people would be pretty happy about that.
1: I tell you what I I would do right now tomorrow on I-70 throughout the entire thing. I would do a revenue neutral uh, congestion pricing uh, approach. And I would say to everyone within like the commuter shed of I-70, we are going to congestion price this thing And all the money we collect, we are going to give back distributed to the people who are driving this route. And so if you choose to drive during a high congested period of time, you're probably going to spend more than what we're going to give back to you. If you choose to not drive during a high congested period of time, you're probably going to get more money back than what you're going to spend.
0: And let's see how that
1: works. Let's see how that works for the next 5 years. I'm not trying we're not trying to fleece you. We're not trying to make money cuz I'm I'm sensitive to the red state argument of, you know, each new tax we put on is just a forever tax. It's the government trying to grow bigger and da da da. Okay, fine. I don't want to have that debate. It's revenue neutral. We're not trying to raise money. I just want to actually figure out and use the market to figure out what is the actual demand on this roadway. Because the reality is if the government is paying for capacity and, and recognize what the government is paying for, the government is paying to enhance the landowners and the speculators who will develop the land that's now accessible when it wasn't before. So if that is, if, if that is really, really necessary and really needed, I want to set up a program, a system uh, that reveals that to me by people's willingness to pay to be in high congestion. We're not gonna make money off of it. We're just gonna set it up and let it run. And then people can, through their own choices, decide when you drive, how much you pay, that kind of thing. You see yeah. what I'm saying?
0: I totally see what you're saying. That's a fun idea. Like
1: people won't do it, right? Like that would, oh, that would be nuts. Fine, all right. But I mean, it, it is, you. You no one uh, who thinks about this to any degree can seriously say, that there is demand Anytime you have the government subsidize something endlessly there's an endless amount of demand for it there's an infinite demand like we cannot possibly end the amount of demand if you and i stand out on the corner and this is like the classic economics thing and we give away free hamburgers there will be an unlimited line for hamburgers like we will never be able to give enough away uh, to fill the demand right that's that's just the way Economic, this is the way humans are. It's the way economics works. People even hoard. Like, I will just go and get extra hamburgers I don't need because they're free.
0: <laughs> right.
1: I will drive around. Yeah. If there's lots of capacity on the roadway, I will just take any trip that comes to mind. I want to go get a bowl of ice cream from Dairy Queen up the road. Why not? There's like no cost congestion-wise to doing this. We devalue so many things and we induce – such a ridiculous development pattern out of it that ends up in a decade or two having people stuck in places that financially have very little future um, and also come at this exorbitant cost to them in terms of their time, uh, their health, their livelihood, their options, their prosperity. And I I feel like it's a sad trap we've gotten ourselves into.
0: You say having revenue neutral congestion pricing is this like pie in the sky, crazy idea. but It also is crazy that we invest in transportation under this development, this 1950s development theory, um, that it's going to be good for our economy, that it's a productive way to develop real estate and to spend taxes. I mean, this is a really unproductive proposal, in my opinion. And I sincerely hope that there are people not just in the cities, but um you know people who are in the conservative areas rural areas that understand that this is not an amazing way to spend uh, our tax revenue
1: right let let me because i think people will hear this and they'll hear me say and you say a 1950s economic approach and they'll think we're being just rhetorical right i'm i'm literally talking about in the 1950s economists sat down and measured When we connect Kansas City to St. Louis with an interstate, here's how much those places grow. And guess what? That was true. Because prior to that, if you wanted to go from Kansas City to St. Louis, you had to get on a train or you took a really, really long circuitous route. The interstate was absolutely transformative, connecting those two places. This is not – what they have done is they take – the economic insights from the 1950s, and they apply them to this incorrectly. Because what this is, is not connecting two places. That was done half a century ago. What this is, is this is a modest enhancement to the commuting pattern of people who have chosen to live in the far exurbs. And so you're not transforming the state. You're not making uh, the drive between Kansas City and St. Louis any quicker. In fact, ultimately, as things develop and as people come out and start to build in these newly developed and open up lands, you're going to further bankrupt each of these regions while making congestion actually worse, making the travel time between Kansas City and St. Louis even worse than it is today.
0: Yeah. And so and the congestion will probably just shift. The minor, I mean, it's really not extreme congestion. I mean, if you've been anywhere other than Missouri, oh, yeah, it's not no, serious I... congestion. It's, you know, it's not a big deal, but it will probably just shift down the road.
1: Yes. I, I, I feel like oftentimes when people in heartland places, particularly uh, Omaha, Kansas City, um, even Minneapolis to a degree, talk about congestion. We need to like bring them out to California once or bring them to Chicago once uh, or at, you know, Atlanta and have them experience like, this is, this yeah, is what congestion. Bad. Yeah. And like, what you have is not congestion. What you have is everybody choosing to drive within a 90 minute window, one direction. And then within a 90 minute window, the other direction, that's not congestion that, yeah. you know, Is something very it's
0: very it's easily avoidable. It really actually is easily avoidable if you just go at a different time.
1: (laughs) Yes. And so I I feel like, you know, this is yeah. When people say 1950s, when we say 1950s, we're literally talking about the economic model that is used internal to the DOT to justify these spending decisions. And that is a model that needs to go away. It is decades outdated and it needs to be updated with a more modern model of economy. When we spend a dollar on this type of stuff, we do not make back a dollar. We do not make back two, three, four, five, like their models suggest. When we spend a dollar on this, we lose multiple dollars as an overall economy. And our models do not reflect that.
0: I just wish there was a train along 70 between St. (laughs) Louis and Kansas City. Of course, that would probably cost a lot more than what's being proposed here and would likely not happen. But if you wanted to connect the cities, a high-speed train would be a much better way to do it.
1: Well, even a low-speed train between Kansas City and St. Louis that was available for passengers that dropped people off in advantageous places on both ends, and I'm not talking any stops in between, maybe Columbia, I don't know, but you just, three stops, would be utterly transformative for the economies of those places. If we're talking yeah. about economic growth, it would be utterly transformative if you could go from one to the other on a rail. Uh, we, it,
0: we do have Amtrak. It's just it's – um, yeah, it's, it's not a, reliable, a convenient just, route. No, yeah. it's not.
1: It's not. Yeah, and I wish so, it was. Right. I wish it were too. The trucking thing is an interesting one, because if the governor was saying, we're going to build this new capacity, and it will be, in a sense, reserved for trucking, in other words, we're going to replace uh, what we're not capable of doing with freight today, with automobile freight, so trucks, long haul trucks, Um, I would say, A, why are you investing in an old model? Um, You know, a trucking... we're having trouble getting people to go in young people to go into trucking because they recognize this is a career with no future, right? This is a career that is not going to be around a decade, two decades from now for sure. Trucks are going to drive things overnight on freeways and just show up in the morning where they're supposed to be. There's a a big shift to railroad because it's way more efficient. The idea that we're going to be doing this for trucks is silly. But if we were, like if trucking is like the real impetus for this, then make it a dedicated truck lane. Like just set the lanes aside and make them for through traffic. Um, This is not. This is about exurban land speculation. And that should disgust everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we'll leave it there. We'll see what happens in the great state of Missouri. Uh, <laughs> hopefully we get more information soon. Um, but before we finish today, it is time for the down zone, which is the part of the show where we can share anything that we have been reading, watching, listening to anything that's been taking of our time these days. So Chuck, what have you been up to?
1: I don't remember what I said last time. If I, if I brought up the doomsday calculation book or not, does that ring a bell? <laughs> no. Um, okay. I cool. Cause I've been, I've been it's reading. Been I've while. been having this. It has been a while. I've been yeah. having this as like my nighttime reading for a while. So right before I go to bed, I, I sit and read for maybe 20 minutes or half hour. And this book has been enthralling. It's called the doomsday calculation. Um, it is by William Poundstone. It is, uh, An exploration of Bayesian economic or Bayesian statistics, Uh, and you utilize Bayesian statistics when you don't have a complete data set. When is the human race going to end? We don't really know exactly when it began. We kind of have some projections. We certainly don't know when it's going to end. So to predict that, there's a certain statistical rigor that we use to do, and it's 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 a fascinating look at a part of statistics that is I think really applicable, very interesting, hard to disprove, but hard to also affirm in a way that makes you really confident. Um, but when you look at it, uh, you're also left with the stunning reality of these calculations that, you know, the human race is going to end in a couple hundred years to, you know, half a million years. Bayesian statistics always gives a window because you always should when you're making a, a future projection. Um, but the book is stunning. It's really stunning. Let me give you one uh, insight. Let's say that the human race is split into four buses. You've got four busloads of of humans. This is is not from the book. This is my interpretation. So if you've read the book and like this guy's in, Chuck is an idiot. Okay, maybe, but this is how (laughs) I've taken it. If I asked you, what bus are you on? You would say well, I have a 25% chance of being on any one of those buses, right? If you, okay. if you put humans, a human race on these buses, we'd be on one. And I mean, humans throughout history, put all of us that have ever lived into a bus and you would say you have a 25% chance of being on any bus. Um, but the reality is, and I'm counting as the bus first bus being like people born a long time ago, second bus, third bus, fourth bus being like the last bus. And when that bus goes by, humanity is over. You looked at this, you would have to say that it's not one out of four. It's much, much different because the first bus would have like one person on it. The second bus would have like 10 people on it. The third bus would have like 100 people on it. And the fourth bus would have like 10,000 people on it. So the reality is, is that because of growth in human population, you are more likely, any single person is more likely who's pondering this, is more likely to be alive closer to the end than the beginning.
0: Hmm. So that that would imply that the end it falls quickly.
1: Yes. But if you if you recognize, yes, it it doesn't it doesn't what it recognizes is that there's vastly more human beings alive today than there has ever I, I think there's more human beings alive today than there were in like cumulative 200 million years of of prehistory.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Wow. Yeah. So if you just think like I am a human who is alive and asking myself this question, when is doomsday going to happen? You are more likely to be closer to the end than the beginning, just statistically.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, that sounds like a pretty complicated, complicated read. Is it, is it easy to understand or is it complex?
1: I found it. I don't know. I found it easy to understand. <laughs> I found it, I was. It was one of those things where I'd just be like, "Oh, wow, that's a really deep insight." I did go back yeah. a few times and reread some things because there were some. Yeah, I guess there were some complicated notions in there that needed second and third readings to kind of suss out. But
0: that that seems like a book I'd need a sketchbook with or something just to draw out the ideas.
1: Well, maybe we should do that. <laughs> yeah,
0: statistics is very visual. I think, I mean, that's how I understood math um, when I was learning it. So it's best if well, it's the, visual.
1: This, the subtitle for this book is "How an equation that predicts the future is transforming everything we know about life and the universe." Hmm. And uh, I think it, I think it lived up to that subtitle. So that's great.
0: That's awesome. So I didn't talk to you last week. I I had Daniel on the show. And I was telling him that I had plans to go to the zoo because we have a brand new baby Eastern black rhino that I really wanted to see. Um, I wanted to give an update on that. I wasn't able to see the baby rhino. They're not letting people see it until I think the late spring or summer. So I'll be back. Also, didn't see a lot of, I wanted to see hippos really badly. Um, surprised that the africa exhibit is not really open in the middle of winter Too cold uh yeah, yeah. africa is actually a lot warmer <laughs> than mm-hmm. missouri is so um, uh, what do you know super surprised <laughs> yeah yeah i was um beside myself so i i saw several animals but i'll be coming back when it's a little bit warmer outside the kansas city zoo is actually really cool i had never been to it and um I, it's actually like got me on a kick. I want to go to the St Louis Zoo this summer too uh i I'm not really I never really thought of myself as a zoo person, but it's kind of sad, but it also it's just really cool to see these animals so
1: I have been to both um the Kansas City Zoo is very nice i mean it's it's it is a very nice zoo. I don't have the same recollection of St. Louis. I don't want to badmouth them because I don't recall. But I do remember being impressed with the Kansas City Zoo. The kids really liked it. But we went in the summer.
0: It's uh, it's very interactive. It's big. It's in a park. Um, The animals seem to have tons of space to run around. The cheetahs look like they could almost jump over the walls, which was kind of scary. But I'm going to trust that they won't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, but I've heard great things about the St. Louis Zoo. I've been as a kid I just don't I don't remember it, um, but I'm pretty sure it's free, and I've heard that it's good uh other so, than that i've oh what's that?
1: I was gonna say last week on friday we I was not here to record because we were having our board retreat uh St stronghouse is run by a nonprofit board. they're my bosses. We get together once a year and we generally do it at disney world uh we spend you know one day uh working and one day having discussions and i brought them to animal kingdom and it was 42 degrees and we went on the safari ride i don't know if you've ever been but you you go yeah, they drive uh-huh. you through and there's all the wildlife and you know zebras and hippos and alligators and elephants and it's a ast- it's stunning right it's amazing um and we did this ride, and the none of the board members have been on it, and they thought, "Well, that was really cool." I'm telling you, like 90 percent of the animals were missing because it was so cold; they weren't there. Yeah, and all I got done, and I was, I was really kind of disappointed. Like, well, that that didn't go well. But they were all happy. They're like, "Oh, that was that was really great because the landscape is really cool, and there were some animals out." Um. So yeah, I,
0: most of the animals last week. I mean, it it was 55 degrees. It wasn't super cold, but a lot of animals burn out. You know, I saw a tiger, I saw penguins, I saw cheetahs and, you know, various animals, but like none of the monkeys were out and the hippo, that's the hippo is really why I came to the zoo.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I really want to see a hippo. And uh, it's actually the, the zoo has this like Africa exhibit, which you have to walk really far to even get to, and it's this loop, and the hippo is at the end of the loop. So literally, as far into the park as possible is where that hippo is. And I dragged my sister and husband all the way
1: to the. Oh hippo no, and you bed. didn't know, and into- oh, and they weren't I'm sorry. out. They
0: weren't out. Well, we had a great, we had a great walk. It was just fun to be out. I think they actually do have the like a ski lift i don't know what they call it but it goes from around that exhibit and it takes you across the park over all the animals It's like a gondola yeah yeah a gondola basically yeah yeah um so i'm i'm looking forward to the summer i'll be back i i want to see more of the animals i'm kind of afraid of monkeys so i don't really want to see those but
1: (laughs) really now i know what we're gonna do yeah i'm not
0: a big fan yeah, this is I'm not a doing. huge fan. I'm,
1: uh, the next time I'm in Kansas City, this is our agenda.
0: Let's um, do it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That Yeah, that sounds great. We'll plan on it. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Abby. Well, uh, we'll end it there. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of UpZoned. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Thanks, Chuck. Bye.
1: See ya. Take care.